0: You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference With us, Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics, that's me. So we are supposedly in the midst of a fearsome physician shortage, especially in the likes of primary care and nursing and psychiatry, because the silver tsunami is daily adding 10,000 Medicare enrollees for eight more years. Every day, that's a lot of pressure on the system. There are only three reasons that this is hooey, and uh, we'll talk about the other two another time. But if you're concerned about primary care, physician shortages, the first reason that this is hooey is that these exact fear tactics were touted 20 years ago. The exact same shortages that were predicted today, 20 years ago, are now being predicted 20 years from now. But you know what rescued us? Foreign medical graduates. The most elite students from India, Pakistan, Mexico and Nigeria and many other countries will make $20,000 in their home countries in primary care. But if they come here, they can do much better. So they come here in droves and they hit a roadblock, which is the second reason why shortages are artificial, slotting for residency. We have 32,500 slots for medical school graduates and 11,000 military slots. That leaves the likes of about 23,000 pediatricians alone from other countries waiting to get slotted for 5,000 slots for foreign medical graduates. So I'm throwing out a lot of numbers here, but the bottom line is there's a lot more foreign medical graduates that already have English equivalency exams behind them than we have slots for. So we have tens of thousands of well-trained physicians that are at the top of their game, at their top of their training, And they're not allowed to practice in america america because we have slotting issues and that's a problem because what i am seeing in houston at least is they're getting exploited they will work at a clinic at a wage of maybe thirty thousand dollars and remember these are physicians that are licensed in their countries waiting to get licensed here properly and they're making thirty thousand dollars which is a little more than a medical assistant it's not really right um Houston, I'm sure, is not alone, is an example that bills them out at full levels, but charges them um, what an MA should be paid. So, again, slotting is really an artificially um, bad or an artificially narrow way to reduce the amount of physicians that are available when we have literally tens of thousands waiting to practice in America. And the beautiful thing about foreign medical graduates is in the last 20 years, they've filled the rural slots that we need, they've been filling in into geriatric. Um, patients that most folks don't want to serve, they're going into internal medicine, they're going into areas that a lot of American doctors are not going into, so they're filling primary care slots that otherwise wouldn't be filled. So, again, there's three reasons why we have artificial shortages in physicians. Foreign medical graduates is the easiest answer for that problem. Today, I cannot wait to introduce you to somebody that is sort of the uh, the Bakey or Denton Cooley of India. Um, And I'm from Houston, so Deveke and Cooley are sort of uh, religious icons in this town. But India, the only difference between when you're famous in India and when you're famous in America is India has the population of America plus a billion people. So I'm very happy for you to meet Dr. Debbie Shetty. He's a world-renowned cardiac surgeon, and I would dub him a quadruple threat. No, he doesn't act, sing, and dance and do comedy. No, he hasn't won Oscars and other stage awards. Here's what Dr. Shetty has done, though. He's won the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. He's founded 32 hospitals in a group that performs one in eight heart surgeries in India. He's personally done 15,000 heart-related surgeries. You heard me. And he teaches cardiology at the most prestigious medical school based in Bangalore, India. He's also pioneered these five things Number one, the newborn cardiology, minimally invasive cardiosurgery, surgery, highly complex cardio surgery, he's introduced telehealth to India and micro health insurance for the poor. So let's recap, Dr. Debbie Shetty is a surgeon, an academic, an entrepreneur, and the reason he's on this show today is because he's also a pioneer who's disrupting things. So let's talk a little bit about the fourth threat. The Cayman Islands has is the host to his one of his hospitals and according to dr robbie pearl is one-tenth the cost for the same cardio surgery that you would get here at the fine hospitals but and i say but with better outcomes and this is not my words this is dr robbie pearl and dr pearl was the ceo of kaiser permanente for 23 years so there's that and it's not equal cardiology i'm going to repeat it's better treatment and better results that is disruptive why because the Cayman Islands is a one-hour flight from Madonna and Miami. Oh, wait a minute. She's in London, so forget about that. Anyway, Dr. Shetty, welcome to the show. So glad to have you.
1: Thank you. My privilege. Thank you, Ron. Thank you.
0: Do you ever sleep? I'm trying to figure. You've had four children. You've done 15,000 surgeries. (laughs) And if I do the math, that means you're not sleeping at
1: night. No, when you uh, love your job, it doesn't become a job. It, It becomes like a, you know, the... The, the most entertaining part of your life or the most joyous part of your life is work. So I love working. Yes, I work 16, 18 hours a day and I
0: enjoy it. I <laughs> yeah, your vocation and your avocation are blurred lines is what you're saying. Yes, yes. Okay, so the two questions I have to lead off with are really one question, but they sound like two. The first of the two is we are so proud in America of our cardiology and of our surgeries and of our outcomes for cardiology. But one of the leading thought leaders in America said that your healthcare is better than our healthcare. Number one, and the second half of that, and this is the same question: is, but you cost about one tenth of what it costs in America, which means that our beautiful cardiology suites and cardiology results are not scalable across the the world. Is that true? Uh, I, I think the
1: uh, you know the the setup we created in Cayman Island has uh, extremely skilled doctors, mainly because they are all coming from India. Uh, For your information, uh, in uh, US, uh, a very, very busy cardiac surgeon, when he retires at the end of maybe 35, 40 years of his professional life, he would have done about 2,000 to 3,000 heart surgeries in his entire professional life. And we have in uh, our system in, back in India, surgeons who have done more than 3,000 heart surgeries, and they're only in their uh, uh, early 40s or late 30s. It's because of the volume of experience, what they get. And you put all these people together in a wonderful setup in Cayman. They can do amazing things. Healthcare is all about the passion, skill, uh, and the technology.
0: So what have you done that is equal to or better than American cardiological technology? Because he is, he's gone there, he's done a site visit, and he said it's better. It's not equal to, it's better. What is different about cardiology with India, Indian medicine versus American medicine that makes it better?
1: The, the, the first uh, issue is about the uh, number of uh, procedures done uh, by individual doctors. We are all technicians. As you keep on doing it, you get good at it. And uh, the second thing is the cost. Cost is a very important issue. Now, why we are affordable? I'll give an example. If I have to run this hospital in U.S., I need to hire an adult cardiac surgeon, a pediatric cardiac surgeon, a vascular surgeon, and a thoracic surgeon. Four specialists I need to hire if this hospital is located in US. Whereas In Cayman Island, I sent one surgeon who can do adult cardiac surgery, pediatric cardiac surgery, vascular surgery, and thoracic surgery. Then you can imagine the cost saving because none of these doctors uh, will have so much of practice when the hospital is just commissioned. So this is how we are able to uh, save the cost.
0: Here's, here's where I think your growth is going to come from. And I'm not saying something you haven't heard before, but most of the insureds in America are coming from self insurance, meaning a company like, let's say, Kroger will take its 30,000 employees and they'll take the risk on themselves for our cardiac event, cancer, a car accident. So the, the high risk, they might farm that out, but they also will take that risk on themselves. So that's called self insurance. They, in other words, are taking on the cost of a Mayo Clinic or an MD Anderson to do the heart surgery. And if they discover that you exist and can do medical tourism with an equal or better result, and you're doing that right now, and you can communicate that, there's no, almost no reason they'd wanna do this in America. Almost no reason. Can you think of one reason other than just a general prejudice or, or a misunderstanding?
1: Uh, generally, the uh, the employee uh, healthcare relation it's essentially a public relationship building exercise for the companies. So companies do not like to uh, uh, suggest to the patients that fly to Cayman and get the surgery or whatever treatment is done uh, because they can afford to. Today they can afford to get it done in the US, but if the financial situation is not very good. In the end, financial realities prevail over everything else. Things are going to change. This change hasn't happened yet, mainly because U.S. still has the money uh, for all the extravaganza. Uh, God willing, it should continue like this. But for whatever reason, when the money dries up, a lot of
0: innovations happen. And people will be forced to innovate. Yeah. You said something important, though. So let's say the chief medical officer has a nice relationship with his assistant and she has a cardiology incident and she needs to surgery. And he gently suggests to her, you should go to Cayman and get this taken care of. And she's going to say, my father got treated you know, across the street over here at this hospital locally. What you're saying is he's not in a position, even though he's the check writer, he's not in a position to suggest she get surgery with you. So it's almost like a, it's, it's almost a disassociation between the proper payer and the customer. That's what we have as a problem for you.
1: Yes, you're right. You're right. Yeah, we anticipated this. But one thing, Ron, uh, rich people always follow the path beaten by the poor. Initially, it is uninsured people who pay out of pocket. These are the people who will avail facilities in uh, the outside the, their country and you know, country of their comfort, mainly because of the financial uh, difficulty.
0: But it is a matter of time before all the others also will join. Yeah. So it, it, you're not, I'm assuming, operating at capacity, or in theory you could be adding more doctors and adding capacity, but how much time do you think it's going to take for Americans to wake up to the possibility of seeing your clinic as a solution just like they'd look at MD Anderson on and the same level? Is that, are we a year or two or three away from that? Are we far away from that? What do you think? Are we one recession away from that? I think we are about three to five years away from this, three to five years.
1: The the trickle has started. It's already started uh, quite some time ago. Uh, but the for the trickle to become a flood, it will take three to five years.
0: Yeah. Do you think that the, the Florida market is the easiest market or that you'll be able to pull equally from Texas and Illinois and California and New York? In other words, is region not going to matter or is the amount of flight time going to make a big difference for people you think? I think it's the financial reality,
1: Ron. I, I can tell you that. Uh, yeah, it is the as long as they have enough money to manage themselves in U.S.,
0: they will never leave their uh, country. That's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you you see medical tourism, and so do I. As really the future, what do you think is going to need to happen in America besides medical tourism for us to wake up out of our stupor of this uh, spending too much for our healthcare because we're obviously at the bottom of our peers for outcomes and we're at the top of our peers by double for the spend per capita. What do you think is gonna to have to change in America for us to wake up?
1: The interesting thing about US healthcare is everyone starting from the, uh, the highest political uh, forces to the, uh, the regular doctors uh, and the business people, everyone talks about reducing the cost. But no one is doing anything to reduce our cost. You know the Einstein's definition of stupidity is you keep on doing the same thing over and over and expect different results. And I think U.S. healthcare is more or less, uh, you know, the uh, the the, uh,
0: the 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 it's a typical example to prove that Einstein is right. Yes. Um. Do you see positive things happening to change that, and what do you see is moving the dial on that?
1: Uh, I feel the non-healthcare, uh, 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 non-healthcare entities will disrupt healthcare in uh, uh, US. Like I, uh, you know, I was uh, very uh, uh, excited when I heard Amazon wants to get into
0: healthcare with Berkshire Hathaway.
1: So. I feel that it's the outsiders
0: who will disrupt, not the insiders. I got to tell you, that's true. We're we're watching Walmart very closely, and you think of Walmart, and it's a nice discount store to go get your uh, uh you know, your your goods, but it's really not maybe as nice as a Target. But what Walmart's doing in healthcare is mind blowing. They are really moving the dial for their employees by taking all the social determinants in, whether that's transportation or childcare. They're taking in the chronic care in a very serious matter manner. They're going after radiology accuracy in a very serious manner. They're putting together an offering that is so strong for their employees that, and, and when they take it out to the customers, and they already are starting, um, I think they're going to be more disruptive than Amazon. I, in other words, if there was a race, I'm betting on Walmart before you know the technology giant, frankly, because I'm watching what they're both doing, and that Walmart is way ahead of the game. Yeah, I,
1: I, I, I agree with you. I, I, I did experience Walmart uh, Foundation on uh, you know, the healthcare many years ago. See, the, 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 the important thing, Ron, today, global healthcare wellness industry is $8.2 trillion. It is much bigger than the food industry. Food industry is only $8 trillion. Today in this world, we are spending more money to keep ourselves fit rather than buying the food for the sustenance. There is something wrong. But what is wrong? It's not just about US healthcare. Uh, after spending $8.2 trillion, less than 20% of the world's population has access to safe and uh, accessible healthcare. Less than 20%. So, if all the policymakers of the country get together and say that, look, this is unacceptable, at least let half the world's population have access to healthcare. We do not have 18 trillion dollars. The world doesn't have that kind of money. And we can't let people suffer. So disruption has to happen in US or India or all over the world. It is a matter of time. We are just buying time. And once the money uh, uh, becomes an issue and when deprived people start demanding, things will change. Because today, the problem what we face in healthcare is artificial. Because everyone wants to hold on to their turf. Doctors do not want more doctors to be trained. Hospital do not want less reimbursement. Insurance companies do not want to pay the hospitals what they deserve. Medical, the, the drug company do not want to reduce the price. But everyone wants together low-cost health care. How is it possible?
0: Well, it seems to me that we have an efficiency problem, not a shortage problem of care. Exactly. It's it's not as if we don't have enough doctors in India or America, or even in China, we have a distribution problem. And so let's talk about telehealth for a minute, which is a a favorite topic of yours. How, well, let let me just tell you a quick story. There is a clinic in Arizona that was first on our show, Arrowhead Health, 100% of their patients are on telehealth, meaning they all have an app on their phone, they all have access to a caregiver, they may not get them right away, but they'll get them within an hour. And that to me is the ideal. And by the way, their costs are 40% of their peers in the rest of America. For, for, and they're a very large clinic with 150,000 patients. So what they've done is they're using the apps and the telephone to use telehealth to its maximum advantage. And, and they're just absolutely manic about cost. Are there people in India doing the same thing with telehealth that are able to distribute these doctors over a wider rural area? i'll give an example we have 70
1: million diabetics with proven diabetes another 70 million pre-diabetics and in the whole country there are only 600 diabetologists now we face this problem in our one hospital in bangalore we get over 150 to 200 diabetic patients coming every day so We collected the data of about 70,000 diabetic patients in our software. And about six months ago, we launched online diabetic care with an application, with an app called Kaizala, which is developed by Microsoft and our team here. And patients have this app in their phone. They come to the hospital. We collect all their data. Uh, do a detailed evaluation of the diabetic patient starting from the eyes to the toes and the heart. And then we tell them not to come back to the hospital or see a doctor in the clinic for the next one year. Anytime they have any queries, blood sugar goes up, blood sugar goes down or any problem, they send a simple message in their app and our diabetic counselors uh, interact with the diabetologist and they uh, advise a the patient what to do. And at the end of four months, we realized that the blood sugar level of patients who are treated online is better
0: than the patient who insisted on seeing the doctors. Are they getting some kind of a list of low glycemic foods to eat? I'm, I'm, what are they changing in their diet so that their, their pattern of life is, is better? In other words, they have to be t- taking different types of foods in than they were before. Is that what's going on? That is food is one of the issues. The main reason...
1: About 37% of the diabetics are on insulin. And the insulin, the, the blood sugar, and some of them check the blood sugar every day. And the blood sugar, the moment it, is, it goes up and down, it's mainly because, not because the medicines, they change their food eating habits. So they would have skipped a meal or overate or ate some extra sweet so our counselors are able to convince them not to get into this kind of a uh, you know the 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 binge eating and uh, these uh, the the uh, the non standardized diet they shouldn't follow so the constantly our team is monitoring and for whatever reason if they don't send the blood sugar uh, report every week so the system generates an uh, automatic message saying that you haven't checked your blood sugar for the last 10 days Please
0: check it and report.
1: So essentially, we are are like nudging them. And that changes their habit.
0: Yeah, Yeah, but I'm I'm doing the math on the number of diabetologists that you have. And it looks like it's about an 11,000 ratio to one for just the diabetics, not even the pre-diabetics. Which means you're using a lot of support staff in the community to do this monitoring and nudging.
1: It can be easily done because diabetes is a lifestyle disease. It's not an acute illness. And we have counselors who are trained for six months. Some of them are nurses who are retired. Some of them are nutritionists. We educate them. And they do most of the work online. And patients love to talk to these people.
0: Yes. Yeah, You don't need to talk to a doctor to to talk about diet and exercise and sleep habits. Exactly. Uh, That's really interesting. Well, so, so it's, a, it's a support staff function, and the support staff almost become part of their lives and part of their family, almost. Exactly. Exactly. Very nice. Well, that is an excellent solution. You're taking a chronic problem, and you're treating it with not as expensive uh, uh, staff, but the people that actually care and are deeply um, energized by their... By, it's almost like a movement. It, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's very exciting. Now, I'm going to assume that um, if you have diabetes in India like we have here, that it's not evenly distributed in all the cities that these diabetologists are. Are there is there any efforts going on with virtual care where you have artificial intelligence? Because we're starting to see the very beginning of that here in America where virtual care is out now actually talking to you like a friend about your eating and your diet and your exercise and your sleep and all the same things that your uh, counselors are doing in um that work with the diabetologist. Is that starting to happen yet? Oh,
1: yes. In India, we have gone very deeply into uh, online healthcare and virtual healthcare. Like last one year, I haven't visited the intensive care unit and see, to see my patients who I did the surgery. Because uh, I get the real-time data from the ICU in my mobile phone. Today, uh, I, can, I do the rounds a lot more times than what I used to do in the past when I used to visit the ICU physically. Every two hours, I look at my phone and I look at the patients I've operated. I can see the cardiac monitor. I can see the blood gas report, urine output, whatever the problem they have. And before I go to bed, I do the ICU rounds. The first thing I do when I get out of the bed is to do the ICU rounds. Sitting in a plane, landing in Miami airport, sitting in a plane with a Wi-Fi connection, I do the ICU rounds. And it's an amazing experience. This will dramatically change everything what we know about healthcare. Technology
0: will disrupt everything. You know know what's interesting about your job is that often your customer and your patient are two different people. What I mean is there's an alpha prime buyer of healthcare in every family. It's almost always the wife. And then there's also the alpha user. And that's not—that's often the husband who's not as healthy as the wife. If you're doing the rounds and you're talking to the husband who had the surgery done, but it's really the wife that's on top of the situation, how do you do rounds with the caregiver, not the actual patient? Because it seems like the caregiver is going to have a bigger impact. I'll I'll
1: give you a slightly different uh, uh, answer Uh, to your question about the caregiver. Like uh, we launched a program called uh, Care Companion Program. Care Companion is when a patient gets admitted to our hospital here or in the U.S. In India, especially a lot of the time, spouse stays in the hospital with the patient. And uh, legally, you are not allowed to uh, uh, allow the spouse to touch the patient uh, and take part in the care. They can't give medicine, they can't do the wound dressing, nothing. But exactly five days after the heart operation, we discharge the patient and call the uh, spouse, usually the wife, and we give her one plastic bag of medicine and tell her to take care of the husband. Five days after the surgery at home, she's lost. So what we did, we started involving them in care. First, we taught them how to check the blood pressure with the digital BP apparatus. Then we taught her how to check the pulse rate taught her how to check the temperature, do the wound dressing, give him physiotherapy. Everything, there are 12 tasks we taught her how to do it. And we made short videos and loaded into her phone. And when she went back home, we could interact with her as if we are interacting with a trained nurse, a medical personnel. Because when we ask her, what is his output? She knows exactly what we are talking about. Output is urine output. Right, and she, she measures it. So essentially, uh, what we noticed is the readmission rate came down by thirty percent. And uh, four years ago, British Parliamentary Commission uh, uh, gave an award, a recognition as a Care Companion is the best, one of the best patient empowerment tool. So essentially, we can train anybody as long as we are monitoring them from the distance.
0: Yeah. I am friends with many Indian doctors here in the United States, and I think there's a misunderstanding of how much, first of all, how hard it is to get into medical school, that it's truly the elite of the elite of the elite that even get into the right high schools, then finally get into the right colleges, but that high school and college and medical school are all one for Indian physicians. Is that right? Yes, yes. It's extremely hard to get into medical school. Yes. But then it's a five-year program, and so your residency, your medical school, and your high school are all one unit. You're not going through four years of high school in America, and then we have four years of college, and then you have three years of medical school. That's a long time to wait before you're practicing. They take the best and the brightest, and they immediately get them into uh, medical school and a residency kind of at the same time. So it's a condensed five years. Is that about right? Yes,
1: because see, the Indians become specialists. At a much younger age than Americans, because it's w- very, very time consuming. Uh, I feel it is a really
0: waste of time, yeah. yeah, so I, I think a lot of people would agree with you. all right, my so my second to last question, if folks want to find your uh, surgery center in Cayman Island, what's the website to go to to find you?
1: Oh, it's called Health City at
0: Cayman Island. yeah okay, health city at cayman, cayman Island. Island yeah dot com yes dot com. Okay. Okay. And if they want to find you, Dr. Shetty, do you have some type of a uh, LinkedIn or a uh, Twitter handle that you like to be? (laughs) No, Uh,
1: sorry. I'm not in any of the social media yet. Maybe one of these days I should, but they can just send me, uh, they can go to Google and find Dr. Devi Shetty and they can get all my details. Yes.
0: Yeah. Very nice. Okay. And we'll link that into the show notes. And my last question, I always like to ask a stumper question. If you could fly a banner over America and give a message to Americans about their healthcare. what would that message be? I would like Americans to ask for a
1: foreign company from anywhere from which can offer quality health care at affordable price in America, and they should allow that to happen in uh, American reservation uh, areas where the uh, regulations can be different than the rest of America they should get a pilot done by somebody and show to the rest of the American healthcare providers that there is a different
0: way of delivering healthcare. Very nice. Very nice. I would love that too. That's almost like a dream. Well, thank you, Dr. Shetty. What a a great pleasure to have you on the show and I hope we can do it again and we'll be watching the progress and uh, wishing the very best for you, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ron. Thank you. Thank you for listening you want to shake things up, there's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.